and welcome to Nickel City Chronicles. Today, my guest is founder of AA Build Up. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Bill Walsh, a leader in Buffalo in the recovery realm. Someone who really is like a an example to people, you know, the youth in recovery. Uh, but I'll let him tell you about that. Bill, thanks for coming on and give us a little story, your your, your life story and where you're coming, where you're coming from, where you're going. Take it away. Sure. Well, first, Neil uh, told me he was doing a new thing on his podcast where he would int- uh, interview interesting people, you know. Yep. And obviously, he got way to the bottom of his list, uh, <laughs> dug as far as he could and said, God damn, I guess it's come to this, uh, and decided to ask me to come on, you know. And I figured, I'll come on. I'll humor the guy. Um, <laughs> Thanks, you know, man. Because it's good manners that when somebody calls you interesting, you don't go out of your way to correct them. You know, <laughs> you, you have to just see it through. So here we are. That's hilarious. Um, and I want to ask too. You're not going to make me eat any hot sauce, are you? No, you, you don't it's, have to do that. It's It'd not be, that kind of. Podcast now that would get a lot of views though. If yeah, no, because I, I had some milk and I left it at home. And I'm the glad. hot ones. That's I'm a glad. good show. Yeah, so a little plug for the hot ones. I don't yeah. get paid by them, and, and, I, and, now, and now I should. Um, so. You know, my story is I was born uh, November 7th, 1990. That was the 63rd anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. Just Ooh. a little little handy way to remember my birthday in case you forget. So you had that revolutionary seed planted <laughs> sure. right in your head. Yeah. Um, and without, uh, you know, incriminating uh, any family members, I'll just suffice it to say uh, that I was born into a house with five people, my mother, my father, my sister, and my brother. Uh, and by the time I was about five, uh, my sister went off to do her own thing. My brother went off somewhere else to kind of do his own thing, and my parents were getting divorced. Um, So right away, uh, (laughs) my sort of interactive world was cut in in more than half. Yeah, yeah, that's that's traumatic. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, you know, if you were to ask me when uh, the sense, you know, that uh, people who struggle with addiction tend to have, uh, feeling alienated, feeling like you're not enough, Yep. feeling like the world is unstable, you know, that was that was quite a bit uh, to internalize, you know, as my first experiences with the world. And no doubt that shaped my view on the world, uh, shaped how I view people, right, <laughs> shaped, right. shaped how I thought people were going to act. Right. Um, and, you know, nevertheless, my mother did a, a tremendous, heroic job of softening that blow the best she could. You know, who the hell knows where I'd be uh, without... Uh, at least her, you know, influence. Um, right. No doubt she did. Um, so I'm, Where I'm would so we be without our that. mothers, man? I'm <laughs> telling you. <laughs> um, second that one. Absolutely. So, you know, years went by. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate when I was younger. I started skateboarding. And uh, anybody who knows that, that community, what that world is like, you know, it's a very honestly positive thing. You know, it gets a bad rap because you hear about the bad things. You know, right, but for right. the most part. I don't think people really understand just how awesome it is or how talented, you know, some of these kids are at what they're doing. Like in my, back in my day, you know, <laughs> when I was skating, that was, I guess, 20 years ago. Almost. Um, <laughs> back in my day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this was going back. Um, but yeah, what, um, so we're talking about the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that which, was when skating was big. That's when Tony Hawk Pro Skater was out. The video the 900, game. Right yeah, the yeah. 900. You're right. Yeah. So. We're talking about that's you're talking about a specific time period when the golden age. Yeah, yeah. skating was like a way of life. It was like a culture. Absolutely, you, you know? know. And I caught it right in the core, you know. And uh, 
you know, did it every day and got what was, what used to be considered pretty good. You know, now I'm like, I would have sucked, <laughs> uh, you know, with Instagram, with just the, all the things that push progress. Yeah. There's uh, so much talent out there now. Absolutely. And it just wasn't like that. You know, like we used to watch stuff on VHS tapes back then. Um, <laughs> yeah, of I stuff that. that. Like I started skating a couple of years ago again, you know, and I would, skate skate yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would go to skate parks. Yeah. I would go to skate parks a couple of years ago. And I'll look at these dudes and I'd be like, these dudes are better than what we used to watch on these tapes. You know, really, um, the, the standard for excellence is so high. Um, but that just wasn't the world we were in. The, the line between professional and amateur was a lot less uh, impenetrable, you know, or, or uncrossable than it is now. Yeah. Um, so we all had our high hopes. You know, we thought we would go on and be sponsored or whatever. That was the goal. Um, That's the goal. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, you know, I was looking at getting maybe sponsored by local shops and things like that back when that used to be, you know. A thing i guess it still is um yeah. but you would think that that's where i started to get in trouble but really when i started using drugs i got away from skateboarding you know because when you skate you're in a you're in a world with people who tend to be of a certain profile which is right. normally broken home right uh, normally loners to some extent you know it's a bunch of loners together basically yeah, yeah. and um it's interesting yeah and who else is hanging out you know in just random places and cities and towns with you know the monuments where people flick their change is people who are getting high you know and right. it wasn't really that hard of a transition for me to run into them and uh you know find this thing you know which was just the world of uh drug use and it wasn't very long after that that i stopped skateboarding and uh that became what i did every day all day um and it, I didn't have a long uh, run with it, you know. It was only a few years. And, you know, I, I say maybe I was 10, 11 when I started using. And by the time I was 14, uh, I was in two different detention centers. Wow. I was in two outpatients. Wow. Uh, at such a young age. Uh, yeah, I was on pins. I was on pins. Yeah, pins. I'm, I'm, I'm a graduate was, If you were of on pins, pins anyone knows yeah. that. And if you were on pins, you were a bad kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a graduate of pins. You yeah, know? I remember those yeah, kids. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. just in need of supervision anymore. They yeah. put me on straight probation. Um, and I did that. Uh, I had, uh, you know, numerous run-ins with the law and things. I was in one mental institution following a hospitalization that was pretty near fatal you know i was hospitalized i think on two other occasions wow um then i went to an inpatient and then i turned 15. <laughs> so it was a, a lot packed into a really short period of time uh wow. i'm certainly uh it, it still occurs to me today that i'm really lucky to be alive i know a lot of people that just aren't you know because they were doing similar things and, and living with a similar sort of reckless abandon, you know, with their lives. But I have to say that when I was in it, there was no sense of like, one day this will change. I need to get it together. It was just a complete suicide mission, you know, yeah. uh, without the gun. And it was just throwing myself into this flame. A slow and torturous one. Sure. You know, and what's going on in the mind of the person who is willing to do that? It, it must be some level of self-hatred, yeah. uh, self-rejection, just a low self-worth. Um, and that all definitely described me, uh, to a T. So, uh, I was a good candidate for treatment <laughs> and went into, like it. yeah, went into a, a place and, uh, you know, I got clean then, uh, that was August the 3rd. I was put into, uh, detention center and they actually put me into that detention center on August the 3rd when I had a bed and rehab opening on August the 11th of 2005 because they didn't think I was going to make it for nine more days. You know, I was... 
maybe a hundred pounds, you know, I mean, as, as, as wow. non uh, physically imposing as I am now, you can imagine what I looked like when I was, you know, 13 or 14 getting wow. high and, and losing weight. You know, I didn't have any weight and I was still losing it. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my pants were you know, already like tied with a shoestring and they were still falling off. Um, wow. So it was just a bad situation. So you hit rock bottom early. Yeah. Quick. You know, you're, you're, real, you're, real you're, 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 your path to rock bottom was straight. Sh- there was no like branches that, that hit in the mud. You just went straight to the bottom. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that, that's how I, I roll. You know, I, I don't fuck around. I get right to it. Um, so yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And so I'm in this rehab, you know, I'm obviously, I think there was one person who was younger there. I hate to say it, but I believe that guy actually died. You know, you don't go to rehab when you're not even eligible to get like a driver's permit unless there's something going on, something, you know? Yeah. yeah so, bad, yeah. you know, the, the, the profile of the people who went to rehab that young, uh, I don't know where they are, but uh, the one I hear about them, it's because they're no longer living or something horrible happened. So anyway, um, I went into this rehab and Every crazy story I heard, the places they would take us, we'd listen to, I mean, old people who had, you know, been doing it for decades. There was nothing that they said that I couldn't understand to some extent. The people pushing shopping carts with the cans, yeah. it didn't matter. The people at absolute rock bottom and yeah. at their last wit's end, I understood. You and know, it, and an it didn't extent. have to be exactly what they were talking about. It was the feelings behind it. It was like you're relating, you're relating to like the emotional... The desperation. The desperation, yeah, right, you're absolutely. right. Absolutely, and I, and I understood it. And although I was a baby, really, I was a child, um, I still knew that what I'm experiencing is something that can't be discarded, you know, that this there's something significant about this. These people don't know me from anywhere. Uh, they're just talking about themselves. They weren't, you know, directing this at me. It wasn't like a scared straight thing. I was just listening yeah. to people talking. And that was enough for me, you know, to sort of convince me, like, you know, I know what's basically going to happen if i go back to using of all the times i was institutionalized i would get out it wouldn't be probably more than two or three days before i'd be right back to whatever i was doing and it wouldn't be much longer after that before i was either in a hospital or back in another institution so uh having some separation from it and then having this kind of society that i was introduced to uh to associate myself with instead of going back to using when i got out that's what i did um and, you know, when you get clean that young, you don't really need to be anything else other than just clean that young to stick out like a sore thumb uh, for people to uh, maybe think of you a little bit more highly than they should. You know, you're, yeah. you're just an existing thing. And uh, especially back then, you know, this is 15 years ago now, uh, there weren't it wasn't as common as I'd say it is now. You know, I don't remember anybody really near my age uh, being clean back then, you know, and. Yeah, you were the first of a long a line that came a couple of years after that. Yeah. Because now, all of a sudden, with the opiate epidemic, right? Now it's now you see people with 15, 15, 16 years old going to rehab all the time. Right. Absolutely. But, but two thousand five, this was rare. Yeah. I mean, there was a few, but really not many. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it was getting there. You know, but, like, but it was not obviously anywhere near uh, what it is now. And for me, I mean, I grew up in the village of Hamburg. Uh, you know, heroin is there, and I was. Didn't Just they have a, a nickname for that high school? Her- heroin High. Heroin yeah, High yeah, School. Exactly. Yeah. And Frontier. I don't know what the official Heroin High is. Either Frontier or Probably both. They call them both. Yeah. yeah. I think Frontier had another nasty name. Yeah. You, you comment below. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, there I don't you know, go. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, so I, I missed heroin. You know, I was only a degree or two of separation away from it. And, and if I had it available to me, I'm sure I would have done it. I did everything else that they put in front of me, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't uh, some moral thing, you know, that prevented me from doing it. It's just that I didn't have access to it. Right. Um, and holy hell, if I had done that, you know. I mean, I was killing myself with, literally with, you know, alcohol and pills and all that kind of stuff. You know, if it had gotten to there, uh, I would be uh, a tombstone, yeah. <laughs> you know, no doubt. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm aware of that definitely. And, and I don't pretend to understand what that degree of, uh, you know, the thing is about. Um, I think we get a little carried away with believing that all experiences are just exactly the same, you know, right. sure it might've felt the same way or whatever, but, uh, some things are different, you know, and, yeah. and should be treated as such, you know, uh, yep. I just, I don't pretend to understand. And um, another thing about that is some, for some people, certain experiences can, can feel different than others. Sure. Like somebody can lose their, their parent and they can get through it with minimal, you know, minimal, whatever, like pain. Sure. And then someone can lose their goldfish and be completely wretched and destroyed and can't go through. Like, I'm just throwing an example out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people, people comprehend certain things differently. Especially when it comes to emotions and feelings, we all have our, our things that we can't handle and things that we could handle. Yeah. So you, there's also that aspect too. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I'm a, I tend to be a pretty you know sensitive person to tell you the truth. And thinking back to what you know, not only my early experiences, you can imagine what kind of using, uh, what kind of hell using was for me, uh, being you know somebody who weighed like 80 pounds and you know not having the total means to defend himself against much older and much larger people, you know? Right. Um, so I, I felt it pretty deeply and I think that probably aided me along and, <laughs> you know, getting clean as early as I did because, uh, I've just, I'm not good at kind of brushing things off like that. You know, I tend to feel things really, really, uh, deeply and intensely. And, uh, and that kind of helped you in a way because you, yeah. cause you had enough. You sure. felt it so. You felt the pain so much, and it was the pain was great enough so much. You said, "I'm done." Sure. You know, I mean, I often will go out of my way to try to feel pain that doesn't necessarily exist. You know, because in a way, it's kind of like a defense mechanism, I guess. You know, uh, to protect yourself. You know, yeah. against perceived danger. Right. Uh, that's so that, true. That's, that's probably some uh, some Catholic uh, <laughs> holdover shit. Yeah. You know, that, I, that I kept. Yeah, but uh, that's yeah, that's what it is. So. Uh, you know, years went on, but I have to say that it wasn't like I went to rehab. Like, you know, we all know people who they went into like a 28 day program and by week uh, three, they already, you know, they came in destitute and homeless and had nothing. And by week three, they owned businesses and they're like, <laughs> and they're like getting ready to run for president, you know, and they've got, they've got a job lined up at the agency yeah. and like all this shit. You see that shit, all you know? the time, right? Yeah. You know, and, and really, and some people they, they turn it around that quickly, I guess, you know, in my case. Uh, I was the exact opposite of that. I was nothing like a poster child uh, in any way as far as the treatment industry was concerned. And really, I didn't want to be. I didn't want them to, you know, use my story to exploit me, you know, basically is how I felt. Right. I didn't want to go into schools and present myself like this, you know, this fucking zoo animal for all the kids to, you know, ooh and ah at. Yeah, and, you know, I know and, exactly and, and what you're present right myself like I'm somehow yeah. other than human. Uh, and, you know, it just didn't appeal to me, which is funny because... As a person who uh, has spent a lot of his life completely hating himself, then all of a sudden I had this big like uh, thing to stand on, you know. And, right. and now I respect myself for some reason. It would have made more sense if I did go in and uh, let them humiliate me, but for some reason I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, I was in alternative schools. I was put in Baker Victory when I was using, and I was there for years and years. Uh, not the I didn't live there because I had 
you know, the mother. <laughs> if not for my mother, absolutely, I would have been living somewhere like that. But wow, yeah. I went to like, you know, the day treatment thing or whatever they call it. And, uh, you know, I was there for a long time and I just, I just wasn't going, you know, clean, like living this life that on paper I was productive, you know, and doing the right thing or whatever. But in reality, I wasn't really doing much of anything other than talking about being clean and maybe throwing in some lofty uh, principles uh, into the conversation to throw people off the scent of what a hell storm my life really was. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm a teenager, uh, you know, that was just thrown into a situation that was really ego inflating, you know, definitely. Yeah. And uh, there, there, I didn't have any competition. So <laughs> I was able to just, uh, you know, talk some shit, which I can do and just let it ride. Um, but I remember actually too, at the alternative school, they knew that I wasn't going to be a good student. You know, they decided that. They realized that. And what they did, they called. They had a meeting. They had a million meetings. But this one meeting, <laughs> they said, okay, Bill, what if we set it up where you can come in at 1.30 in the afternoon and school ended at, like, I think, 3 or something? Why don't you just come in from 1.30 to 3? Will you do that? And you can just do whatever work while you're here. And you don't have to come in at, you know, eight in the morning or whatever. And I was on the phone with the principal, probably <laughs> high, you know, I think I was actually clean then, which is, <laughs> makes this yeah. story even worse, you know, but, and I told her, I was like, I, I don't think so. You know, I'm just not into that. And I'll tell uh, you why, because I didn't want your charity, you know, I didn't want your handout and I didn't want to graduate with some asterisk that, you know, I'm the guy who went to school for a quarter of the time and you just printed this piece of paper wow. to fucking you know humor everybody that's interesting yeah and and that's always been my attitude like i don't want things you want to earn it yeah absolutely you want to know something I, yeah. just to pause for a second i'm sure. gonna go back to your story in a second sure it's interesting because i i had a similar high school experience where i did not care at all about mm -hmm. school i skipped more school than i attended and i was in summer school every year yeah i don't know what it was something maybe it was my parents pushing me to to at least do something and get the work done right. which i would do i would go to summer school i'd pass the classes i'd be back to the next year i was always behind i never was in front like the most like you know some of the good students are finally it all after it all it all piled up to my senior year mm -hmm. and i got the opposite offer as you okay my principal pulled me into the, into the, into the office uh principal greco yeah and he said to me you might as well just get your ged there's no way you're going to graduate <laughs> yeah he said and I said, well, okay, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, first of all, you have to, you have eight classes that you have to, you have to pass. So you, if you, if you take a lunch, that means you're in summer school already. Uh -huh. So that's seven classes in a summer school just to graduate. Right. And then he's like, um, and then he said, the only way you can graduate on time is if you don't take, a, have no lunch, no study hall, and while all these kids go home, because senior year you get to leave early. Mm. Okay. You only have half a schedule. I wouldn't know. I wasn't. In yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I right, wasn't right. In an actual yeah, high you weren't. Yeah, you didn't right. make it that. Yeah, I, I really. I never. I <laughs> no, I, you were. You, I think twice. you were. Already, you were already gone by then. You were already in in uh, Probably. treatment. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah. He said to me, "If you want to, if you if you don't want to get your GD, fine. But you just what you're here's your, here's what you gotta do. You gotta take eight classes, no study hall, no lunch, full schedule. Never been, and, and even in a even in a freshman year, you don't do that. You have at least a lunch. Right. And he said, "You're gonna you want to try it? I said, "Sure, I'll try it." Somehow I graduated high school. Yeah. Mirror. Nice. I don't even know how. I couldn't even tell you. I barely. 
but that's just it's just a weird thing. It was like I got the same offer, but it was like the opposite. It's like here, pack on all these classes and see if you could do it. Yeah. And I did do it. I don't even know how. I, people people looked at me in graduation day like, what is he doing here? Is he, <laughs> did he sneak in here or something? Right. Like they didn't even. Some of them probably didn't even know I was even going to school. Yeah, yeah. But um, that I, don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there. But no, definitely. So you okay? So now they give you this offer. You'd say no, I don't want it, and yeah. then and so where do you go from there? Well, just kind of on what you were saying too. Um, they always told me from the time I was, you know, really young, and I was always kind of, uh, I guess, reclusive and shy. You know, certainly owing in part to just, you know, experiences growing up or whatever. You know, and definitely, uh, I I I bore some scars <laughs> um, from all that. But uh, they always told me that you know if you would apply yourself, you'd be at the top of the class. You know, which made it especially painful and ironic that I was always pretty much at the bottom um and when I would get like you know they would sort of mandate tutors for you if you missed a certain amount of time and you'd have to go meet with this lady at like a library or whatever right and you know I'm sure it was frustrating for them to watch me do like you know a quarter of the year's worth of work in like a week and a half you know (laughs) and just knock it out and be fine yeah like yeah well the hell with you you know (laughs) fucking see you later you know until next time um and that's just sort of the way it went but uh, I actually, so here's what happened. I went from that alternative school because they sat down at that alternative school. They had a meeting and they said, we need to find Bill an alternative school. <laughs> it had gotten that deep. Uh, so they threw me into a different one. Uh, this was Stanley Falk. I went to the Cheektowaga, uh, location and it, things didn't get really any better from there. Um, and I ended up, I, I was put into school a year early when I was a kid and I ended up dropping out, I think like three years behind. Um, and I was 19 at the yeah. time, you know, and I was supposed to graduate when I was 17. So, and I had an, at least another year. It might've been more than that. That's pretty bad when you don't even know. Yeah. That, that's how, <laughs> that, that's how like detached from the whole thing I was. Yeah, Who the no, hell knows? Exactly. I don't know what grade I was in when I left public school. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about it really. I think I was in seventh, but gone to my head. I really couldn't tell you maybe eighth. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I dropped out 19. I had five years clean at the time. So that was my point in saying that it's not like I left, you know, buttoned up, ready for the world. I had a lot of uh, stuff to try to turn around, you know, and I wasn't even beginning to try for a lot of years. Really, I probably was like 25 before I even started to feel somewhat like a person, you know, or somewhat like the world was a place that I'm supposed to be, you know. Um, yeah. Not that I totally feel that way now, but at least I started when I was about maybe 25. Yeah. Um, so, you know, long story short, well, not really long, painful, complicated, <laughs> tear soaked story, story right. made a little bit shorter than it actually was. <laughs> um, being that I was sticking out like a sore thumb and, uh, I had the ability to, to talk. Uh, I got asked to speak at this like really small event four people, maybe, um, when I was probably maybe 16 or 17. And uh, it was a pretty inconsequential thing, except that that marked the beginning of a process that really changed my life, definitely changed my world, changed the way I see myself, which was getting asked to do that more and more. The crowds kept getting bigger. uh, And by the end of it, I think I spoke in something like 16 cities. uh, Yeah, I remember remember that. You know, about probably 130, 135 different times. Yeah. Which, which amounts to something like 75 hours, you know, of, yeah. of stage time. And funny That's enough, crazy. in the middle of that, you know, I've always, since I started doing that, as shy as I was and reserved and as we're I ta- was. And we're talking yeah. about, um, like, those, the big 
city like what do you what do you call those the year events that happen like in conventions conventions yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or even just events yeah these yeah, yeah 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 like you know i spoke in some rooms so in front of lots York. of people hundreds of people sometimes i mean I've, I've been to a couple when i, I watched you dude and it was like incredible <laughs> okay. incredible it was thank you borderline stand-up comedian comedy too <laughs> like it was entertaining everyone's nice. watching everyone's tuned in glued to you dude yeah and you had a gift you have a gift of speaking dude yeah. you really do yeah i'll tell you how bizarre that is um that for me being up there is a really comfortable thing that i don't experience in really any other kind of facet of life you know yeah. even this i mean i seem confident and smiley but i'm bleeding inside having this one-on-one wow. -on -one interaction wow. uh, absolutely um and i That's love you don't get me wrong i'm just saying that you know that just talking to people in this level is a lot more difficult for me than being stared at by a hundred sets of eyes because they can't respond you know, I have the control here, and your fucking your job is to just sit there and go for the ride. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you don't you don't get to kind of control the direction. Right. That's what I enjoy. That sounds like a control issue, and it might be. I remember, uh, but I remember one heckler you had one time. I had a heckler. Yes. I don't. I don't you, even dude, remember. I pushed that shit out of my let, mind. Let me tell the story. But I wish this, I could annihilate one, him. Right this now. is one of the greatest Bill W. stories I've ever. I can. I'll tell you right now. I'm there, listening too. There's, there's I a whole bunch. This. No, you, yeah, you're gonna okay. remember as soon as I say this. Okay. Somebody said. You're you're talking you're talking about getting clean at 15 or whatever age was it 15 14 14 yeah yeah and you're talking about you know being so young and getting in recovery and somebody in the crowd said man I dropped more cocaine than you use in your lifetime yeah and you go well maybe if you didn't wait 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 hold on I'm going to get this right you I think you said something along the lines of yeah maybe if you weren't dropping so, so much you you would have got cleaner as my age too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and everybody started dying. This, yeah. Is that what exactly? Something along those lines. Basically, yeah. yeah. And that's like an old line. I can't take full you know credit for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, definitely yeah. laid that on a, a few people. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was um, hilarious though. It was definitely. hilarious. Yeah, that's like an old uh, you know AA thing about they spilled more than you used or whatever. Right. You know? I yeah. spilled more than you used. Yeah. Maybe if you didn't you spill uh, so much, you'd be in recovery too. Right. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of dying. upset that the the story you brought up. I. I Borrowed that line from somebody. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The I, way, wish, I wish it was something I said, but whatever. The way you delivered it was great. It was <laughs> okay. hilarious. Great. My my rendition of it was, was yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so but yeah. But I mean, I kept uh, you know getting up there more and more. And it, funny enough, and I've heard a lot of comics basically say you know something along these lines. But uh, for me, that's such a comfortable place. And you know, imagine if you're a person that that sounds like a petrifying thing to do to get up on a stage and have people just staring at you and it is you that they're judging and imagine you get up there and they all start screaming at you that you suck and the microphone feeds back and then the microphone turns off and they're <laughs> booing you and they're telling you to go home and right. they never want to see you here again what were you thinking coming here yeah. that feeling in your core that's how i feel at parties Wow. <laughs> that's how uncomfortable i am that's how much i hate it but yeah. when i'm up there i feel how i imagine uh, uh, an adjusted person would feel at a party. I feel at one. I feel peaceful. Uh, like I, I, I feel connected. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that is certainly a, a component for uh, in the study of the mind, <laughs> why that would be. But yeah, a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, who are something drawn about that. To that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a different uh, level of connecting with people, you know, and uh, how I fell into that was obviously completely by accident. But uh, when I w was probably about 20, uh, I did five minutes uh, stand-up in an open mic that's no longer around. Uh, I got up there. Uh, it was actually on a weekend that was sandwiched in between 
two other weekends where I was going, I think, to Brooklyn the week before and to the Bronx the week after uh, to do different things. Not stand-up, but... Um, and I got up there, and I had five minutes of probably what really amounted to, like, logic puzzles about juvenile delinquency and masturbation and, <laughs> and something else, you know. And, and looking back, though, I don't remember it really going too poorly. You know, I remember it being okay. Uh, I had kind of a not the greatest, like, spot because I went right after this old guy. And I mean old guy, not like 50. You know, he was everybody's grandpa-looking guy. And he like got late seventies. Yeah, and he, he got up there. He had a Cosmo magazine, and he was reading these articles about different ways to like stimulate your partner. And and here here's this old dude up on stage holding the Cosmo, like rubbing his lips and shit. And everybody was just screaming, you know. And I, I that's just you know, it was an unfortunate thing that I had to go up in the vacuum of this guy's like. Yeah, you, know, you had to follow up with yeah, that one. Thunderous applause, tough, and I, right. I start telling my you know, uh, bizarre shit. Um, but the thing was, I knew what it was to. To kill, you know, I knew what it was to have an audience. I knew what it was to, to captivate an audience. Absolutely, right? You know, and I'm not saying that to whatever. It's just the truth. You've uh, done it. I, I I can honestly say you you've probably done it a thousand times. Yeah, at so least I had a standard set for myself that when I did that five minutes, although it went well, I just felt like it didn't go well enough. You know, uh, one of the comics came up to me and said, uh, "It was a great set. You know, we're glad you came. You didn't have you know the most envied spot. That's why you know." Yeah, I said that um, you didn't. But uh, nevertheless, you know, we thought it was good. We hope you come back. And I'm sure I said, yeah, I'll be back. But I knew that I wasn't coming back because yeah. just I felt like I had failed. And um, I just never went back. Plus, I was doing all this other stuff and I felt like, well, I'm still kind of doing it. So I'll just keep doing this, you know. Uh, and then the time came that that stopped. And by then I was, you know just up to my neck in school and all this other stuff that I thought I wanted to do <laughs> um, because I should go back and mention that when, after I dropped out, I did get my GED. Uh, I ended up going to ECC. I got my associates. Then I got my uh, bachelor's in philosophy from UB and then finished my master's in social work in 2019. Wow. Good for you, dude. Um, and Master's in what? Social, social work. Yeah. Wow. And, um, That's right up your alley too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and Although I was writing throughout that, you know, and that I've always really had it in the back of my mind, I was going to do stand-up. Uh, it just wasn't th – that story became really distorted in my mind about how that actually went down, you know. Um, I remembered it as being a little bit worse than it was um, because I'm just a perfectionist, I guess. But um, <laughs> just being way, way too hard on myself. But it's always been in the back of my mind. So That's got to be something that – a common yeah. denominator for addicts. Sure. Being so hard on yourself, thinking everyone's pointing the finger at you, and sure. really, really, probably not. Sure. You know, but but it's also, I think, the source of great comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Being great, great comics, yeah, yeah, who don't want to be mildly entertaining. You yeah. know, I, I want to 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 damage you. you know? Yeah. I, I want to hurt you. I want you to need to go to the hospital. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I don't want I don't want to punch you in the head and I don't want to punch you in the stomach. I want to punch you square in the heart and <laughs> and, awesome. and kill you, you know, That's because awesome. when you punch somebody in the head, you jostle them, you titillate them with, you know, something mental. When you punch them in the stomach, you might shock them, but you're going to remember if somebody hits you in the chest with a baseball bat for a little bit longer and maybe a little bit uh with a little bit more fondness, right, you know. Right. And, and that's what I wanted to do. So Yeah. You know, n nobody probably does that in their first five minutes set ever, but I thought I should have. Yeah. Um. So anyway, you know, now here it is. Uh, 
where this last year, you know, COVID and whatnot, I found myself with a whole lot of free time and uh, I started writing, you know, and last March, it's almost exactly a year ago, um, I was looking to sign up at another open mic uh, really? at Helium. Yeah. And I, I was looking at it. I didn't sign up the one week. I looked the next week and the open mic got moved because of some other event. And I said, all right, I'm doing it. You know, I'm just, I'm fucking doing it. There's no way I'm not doing this because the moment I had any time to myself, it became so loud that I was like, I just, I can't justify not doing it anymore. Right. Um, And yeah, so two weeks later, when the next open mic was supposed to happen, everything got shut down because of COVID. Wow. (laughs) So you tell me what the hell the odds were of that. I don't know if that was divine intervention saying, Bill, Nobody wants to hear that shit, you know, or maybe it was just Bill, take this year to write. I don't know which way to take it. Uh, but Probably the latter. Yeah, I'm going to go with the latter. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so this whole year I've just been uh, working, honestly, really hard. on Trying uh, to hone that craft now. And just getting stuff together. You know, I know there are, like, Zoom open mics and things, but that's not appealing to me. You know, no. I, I want to go to war and, and be shot at. You know, yeah. I don't want to go to the range. You want to do a full know, hour? Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Well, I mean, you're going to start with five. five you know? yeah. and, and the weird thing is I have so much other experience. Right. You know, no, I'm that, saying is that, is that your end game that you ever want to do an hour oh, at sure. some point? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, and and the thing is I'm, I'm not going to get the amount of stage time in comedy that I've already gotten elsewhere for probably years, you know, just because they're not giving it away that easily. Right, you know? right. But you, I, yeah. I've done the hour of talking. I've done 45 minutes. I've done 20. I've done a half hour. You know, I've done yeah. 10. I've done all the, the variations. Like, I know how to kind of build, you know, how to sort of keep it together, you know, how to present something in a... Deliver. Sort of, yeah, in a good, like, a good arch, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this whole year has just been all about writing. You know, right now I probably have, honestly, in the neighborhood of, like, two hours of stuff. Um after having thrown away a good hour, you know, or so that I just w- won't say. Um, and I'd say all of it is at least like a C, you know, C plus, uh, some of it better. But um, I just want to hit that world as hard as I possibly can, you know, and, and I'm willing to do it even if it literally kills me, you know, because wow. uh, after, you know, I tried the whole school thing. I tried to fit myself into this box that, Dude, it just didn't fucking work out, you know? Like, I, I got my master's. I ended up working at this agency. Um, and we all know, at least those of us familiar with addiction, that a few years ago, the American Medical Association made this glorious grand declaration that we're now going to look at addiction as a medical issue. It's no longer this moral thing. Like, they laid their stamp on it to say that this is now our domain. Right. And, ev- and everybody who was getting blindsided, <laughs> thought that that was a really good thing. Right. Uh, and it wasn't. You know, I was like, this is, these are the people that you want spearheading treatment of addiction, the last people that should be dealing with that population, wow. you know, unempathetic Talk people about who, that. who, it's going to be a clinical, cold kind of exchange of things. You yeah. Know, these are the people who are already pumping everybody that they can get their hands on yeah, with just, every pill and every liquid. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think then, they admit and then, themselves. And then turn over the money. Like oh, the, yeah. Get, get, get a patient in and get a patient out. Sure. You know so, what I'm saying? So, you know, I think they even admit that 80% of surgeries are unnecessary. Don't they? Something like that. Wow. So, I mean, this is who now, you know, like I said, they laid claim. They stuck their flag in that mountain, you know? Yeah. Addiction is ours. That's what they basically were saying. Yep. You know, I didn't think that was a good thing then. Uh, funny enough, I found myself working in an agency. Um and long story short, they, they basically threw me out of the place. Uh, they 
they said that we had a difference in treatment philosophy. I would argue that uh, I wasn't willing to commit insurance fraud, and they didn't like it. Um, wow. Because, you know, here I am. Uh, I, after I got transferred after my training, they put me in a place where I got nothing but good feedback from anybody I talked to. They said, you're doing a great job. We're grateful to have you here. Thank you for taking on extra work and all this stuff. But when somebody would come in and didn't actually meet criteria for a substance use disorder, I didn't say that they did meet criteria, you know. And, and, they, and they don't get paid, so they didn't like that. Right. You wow. Know? And, I, and I was, you know, I mean, I diagnose people with everything from, you know, uh, severe heroin uh, use disorder, right. uh, severe alcohol or whatever. So I wasn't like ignoring things, and, you know. And but, just to clarify for anyone, yeah. not only do you have your master's degree in that round in, in um, sociology, right? Social work. Social work. Yeah. Not only do you have your master's degree in social work, you've also have fifteen years of experience in recovery. Right. Not only that, you also read Aristotle and Plato and all the great philosophers like Young and Nietzsche. You know all. You know you know this like the back of your hand. You're an expert at this, and they're gonna tell you how to how to um. How to go about uh, cl- what's the word uh, diagnosing yeah. diagnosing somebody, yeah. which yeah. is mind-boggling. So it, th- it was a total ca- cash grab, you know. And it, it really, it wasn't unlike working at like a call center, you know, where you're incentivized to be dishonest uh, at the expense of other people, you know. And and the the more of a piece of shit you are, the further you get, you know. And it it tends to fall wow. out that the people who are, I think least qualified to be working with that population end up being the ones in charge of deciding how that population is dealt with. So while I was there, you know, I was doing one-on-one sessions. I was doing, you know, group sessions. And from everybody I heard from who talked to clients, they all said that they enjoyed it. You know, they liked what I was giving them. And I'll tell you what I was giving them. I was treating them like people. Um, our, our like group sessions, I wasn't just lathering them for an hour with jargon, you know, yeah, with the like, little uh, worksheets, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, just worksheets, just bogging them down. These people yeah. have such a short attention span anyway, right. and they're on drugs, yes, and they don't like you, you know, so <laughs> Thank and you. you go in and so you knew that, yeah, I mean, you understood if, that. If the average person sat through that stuff, they'd go smoke a rock, you know, <laughs> and you, you think that these dudes are gonna go through, you know, they already know that they're being gamed. Why make it worse right. <laughs> by also treating them like they're subhuman? Um, wow. So I was trying to like bridge that. And that's why I got into that field was because I wanted to be a human connection because I knew how fucked up it was. Uh, but the way it fell out uh, was that after, again, they told me how great I was doing, yada, yada. Uh, I went in on a Monday. I saw three patients in the morning. I had no indication that anything was about to happen. And uh, I got back from lunch and the... Uh, program manager who uh not to sound you know mean or toxic but what a beta piece of shit he was uh <laughs> this guy he called me in his office and you know well he called me and he said hey bill you want to come into that's my impression of him hey bill you want to come into my office real quick and and i hung up even though i had no reason to really think anything was going on i just thought you know this isn't good <laughs> you just, just felt it i just had the sense you know yeah. th- this is not right you know and uh and i walked in and it was the program manager. It was this uh, employment specialist lady. And come to find out, the Grim Reaper was standing behind me. And they uh, 
just told me, you know, they didn't, uh, my documentation was bad. And, and it was clear they had been like building a case like the ATF does, you know, wow. how they, they don't get you right away. You know, they kind of they sit back, they let you, to... give you enough rope to hang yourself kind of thing. Wow, that's And they just started launching all these uh, like accusations at me about how I was doing, you know, X, Y, and Z wrong. And I was just obviously quite surprised that you would tell me that after you've been telling me I was doing it all right, you know, basically. Wow. Um, but the only gripe that they really ever did voice to me was that you're not admitting enough people for treatment. You know, they said that we have to admit almost everybody. And I was admitting almost everybody. Yeah. I was admitting like seven out of 10 and they were saying it's got to be like nine out of 10. Plus At one. Least. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much, exactly. And, and you know, funny thing was, like, my the program manager told me that uh, we work with the police. You know, I shit you not. He used these words. He said, we, we work with the police. When somebody is put here for a DUI or something like that, the judge is going to send them here for treatment, and they want them to get that treatment. Whether or not they actually meet some kind of criteria for an alcohol use disorder. We are here to execute the will of the judge. It's basically this is what, what I've saying been saying the whole time. Well, here I am to <laughs> verify it for you. And I won't say where I worked, but it's, you know, I don't know of really anywhere that it's isn't like that, sad. so it doesn't really matter. It's really sad. So I've, yeah. I've noticed this the whole time with my experience in and out of these programs is yeah. they're the, the, the all-seeing eye of recovery right now in, in Western New York is the courts. Yeah. It's not it's not really recovery. I mean, it sort of is in a way like, yeah, you, you push people into meetings and you all that stuff is fine. Sure. But at the end of the day, the, the courts are the ones who are diagnosing, who are making treatment plans, who are deciding what you what what, the, what these uh, cases are right. when the people who are actually qualified are just glorified social workers, just a middleman of what between the judge and the, and the client. Yeah. Yeah, and and I thought I would get away with being myself, you know, in this place, in these places, and I didn't, you know. And wow. uh, but then it wasn't too long after that that COVID hit, and uh, I found myself with, like I said, a lot of free time, <laughs> and uh, it it didn't take long for me to decide, like, dude, you need to start doing stand up again, you know. Um, yeah. And and I, I tried born, that world, that. you know. I tried that thing, and obviously I'm gonna have to work somewhere sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But. I tried that thing, you know, I tried to be that guy and uh, it just, you know, it's not somewhere I, I should be. And it's possible from what I understand to make an awful living, but you can make some kind of living. Uh, you wanted to road. be a real counselor and affect lives and they wanted you to be yeah, a I, paper pusher. I wanted to be the kind pusher. of counselor that I had 15 years ago because right. it was definitely it used a different to be that world. Way. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. you could get a really good job with an associate's degree. You know, or, you know, a bachelor's might get you as far as you can get now with like a PhD. And wow. And you could really like be a human being with people. And that's how they used to be with me. Um, I and the whole philosophy, what I was getting into the whole philosophy behind drug court. Yeah. The, the reason why it was so easily pushed, like, and everybody accepted it so fast was because finally we're looking at addiction as something that's not just a criminal aspect. You're not just a criminal. You're someone that is sick and needs help. Right. What the court the courts did is they started off in the right place, but they brought it back to the whole criminal aspect. Like yeah. you said, we're working with the police and the judges here, yeah. and we have to admit everybody because they want us to do this. Yeah. So it it it, it just made a whole circle back to back to square one, yeah. where the the person who's in court is just a criminal, has to do all these things, has to peak, p- piss clean, and right. go to these meetings and get documentation, and 
what is that really in recovery? In the sense of recovery, you have to want it. You have to be doing it for yourself, not for the judge, not for the cop, not for who, your job. Right. To, to, gain, to get recovery, it has to come from the self. Right. There's no way a judge can get somebody clean. Right. They can temporarily get somebody clean, but it's funny because all these all these drug courts wonder why people are graduating drug court, and then a year later they they're in the news passing away from over overdose. Yeah, and it's like, hello. Yeah, maybe well, you're, maybe there's something we're not doing right here. Yeah, I think the more you externalize your responsibility to yourself, uh, the worse off you're going to be. You know, and if you're yeah. only doing it for these external reasons, when those external reasons are gone, you're going to be left with avoid that <laughs> yeah you know in which probably if anything exists it's going to be just to keep doing whatever got you in that place to begin with you know i remember when i was early uh at that place working um so i i you know when i first started working there this is what kind of clouded it for me is that i did get my wisdom teeth out uh when i was there for about like a month and a half or something i was still in training and i had a horrible reaction i wasn't taking pills you know no narcotics or anything like that but I was literally in a fog for like a month. I got a really bad sinus infection, you know, and just, it was just ugly. Um, and it was kind of in the midst of that, that I think they started to say, this dude is fucked up, you know, and we need to kind of get him out of here. Like I, I didn't go in. I wonder if I had COVID to tell you the truth or Maybe something. Like it was, was it right people, around that time? It was, uh, what was that? Probably like September of uh, yeah. 19. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's how a lot of people. A lot of healthy people who get COVID, it was just kind of like, that's what you just said. You described it. Yeah. You might have had it. I wonder. Like, when I started hearing people say, yeah, I think I was like, damn, wait a minute. Because I just associated it with the wisdom tooth thing. But, yeah. I mean, I was in bed and literally thought I was going to die. You know, and if it wasn't because I thought I just had, like, some bad sinus infection, I probably would have been a little more scared. Yeah. Uh, but I, like, literally couldn't move. Was your breathing? Like, was your breathing? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Like, I don't remember. It's hard to like, remember Suffocating, yeah. really. But I remember... Um, just really being in a bad way, like the idea of like sitting up just sounded like impossible kind of stuff, yeah. you know? You probably did so, have COVID. Yeah. So like I go back in, um, you know, and I was handling the job, but I remember one training exercise they gave us early on. They gave us a case, and this is totally fictional. I'm not talking about anything, you know, specific. This is a fictional case they gave us of some guy who, and I don't remember all the details, but I know there weren't many. <laughs> they would say he's using heroin. He has some domestic violence thing. And uh, he's having trouble at his, you know, work or something like that. So from that, you might get two criteria for a substance use disorder. And the person who was leading the training said, now, I want you to, you know, formalize this case, uh, assess it, and come up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. And in that case, <laughs> there was not enough to come up with even a diagnosis, really, because you need three criteria to meet a mild diagnosis. You need you know, and, and so on from there from moderate. And then there's more, I think six or more for severe. So um, the person actually told us, if you can't find it, just make some up. <laughs> and I remember looking at her, you know, you ever have, I don't know, one of those moments where you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? And that was yeah. when I started to really feel that way. Like, I, don't, I would right. never talk to these people if I saw them in, in yeah. you know, public. I would be, it's cookie cutter. Just want to get away from them. It's cookie you know? cutter recovery. Yeah. It's be, not every, it's, they're trying to sample and package recovery. Right. You can't do that. Recovery. Right. It's, it's, every it's individual case has to be unique. Right. They, they strike me as the kind of people who are really good students and, and, and not much else, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like that. And, and that's who I was surrounded by me, the dropout with, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the most qualified person, I mean, the person who lived it half of your life, half of your life, you've been sober. Half of your life, you've been sponsoring people and helping them get sober. Right. 
you have a master's degree in this stuff. Right. <laughs> this is just, this is you are walking, breathing version of recovery. Thank and you. they're going to tell you, oh, you're, you know, we're differing, so we're going to have to let you out. Yeah. You know. That tells me that something's not right with our recovery system here, here in Western New York. Absolutely. That tells yeah. me that right there. Yeah. You know, so, and I wonder looking back if that whole training thing that I was given was a way to kind of filter out the people who weren't willing to play ball. Right. You know, because they were asking you to literally. You got to make money. Yeah. We have to, to make to money. Just, you know, That's all it's about. Falsify whatever you need to, but come up with a diagnosis for this person. You right. Know? Um, and, and no doubt they're making a lot of money doing that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were... But what they've done is they've criminalized yeah. drugs more than it was before. Sure. So let's let's go back 20 years ago before drug court. Yeah. Somebody who's... Let's say they're not an addict. Mm. They just went to a party, got screwed up, got a DWI. And uh, now they come to you and you say, okay, you had you had a rough night. You got a DWI. Yeah. But you're you're telling me that you don't... You haven't drank before that for six months and you don't... You know, you're telling... Like, whatever, whatever the qualifications are. And you don't think they're... You, you're you, telling a story that is real yeah yeah so <laughs> you, you know, you're exactly, you're like this person exactly does not need kind of thing yeah. you're, you're you're saying this person sure. does not need all this time and money attributed to them all this uh health insurance stuff right I'm, I'm just gonna send them out and he has to go face the judge and whatever the judge gives him is what the judge gives him right but instead because of this whole drug court system now you got to put this person through all this stuff and all these sanctions and all these whatever they have to they have to go through and yeah when when and 20 years ago they would have just the judge would have gave them their sentence and that's it they face the consequences of their dwi right end of story right now you're dragging them through this whole entire process life-changing process yeah. and pushing them into something that they're, they're not necessarily cut out for yeah so it's it, you instead of you it's worse than criminalizing it because you're really what you're doing is you're taking somebody and pushing them through a a, a worldview and a life that mm -hmm. they're they're not really supposed to be going through exactly and then they end up Sometimes, sometimes uh, they looking at themselves in a way that they is probably isn't appropriate. You assume that these are healthcare professionals and right. they must know what they're talking about. And I'm sure that a lot of damage is created that way. Yeah, know? and that, um, now you create trauma. Yeah. Now they might become an addict. Sure. Now all of a sudden, okay, yeah. I'm in I'm in these meetings with these people, and this guy's, hey, let's go do some. Like he's not in recovery; he's just there for court too. Yeah, and he's like pulls out a bag of coke, and all of a sudden he's doing coke now. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Well, and now, it does. Now, now you're stigmatized. Now you feel alienated. Now you feel yeah, lonely. You feel different. You feel less than. You're being told by experts that you're an addict and yeah. this is the this is the facts. Whatever you say is wrong. You're right. a criminal. You're this, that. Right. All those things I described are a perfect recipe for addiction and for stand-up comedy. Right. And, what, <laughs> but, and, yeah. and another thing it does, another horrible thing that it does, I don't even know why I didn't bring this up yet, yeah. is what it, what it does to actual 12-step programs mm -hmm. when they're getting flooded with all these people who don't want to be there. Sure. Yeah. screws up the whole atmosphere of these meetings sure. got 20 people there for drug court 10 people there for recovery right and those people those 10 people are like what the hell's going on here yeah. people are just, uh, like screwing off in the back and don't care just getting a paper sign leaving right. where's okay the 12-step meeting is supposed to be a place of fellowship mm -hmm. a place where people come together and try to find recovery like they want to be there yeah not just like a judge sent me here I got to get my thing signed so I can leave. Right. Nobody's going to catch recovery that way right. until they finally hit bottom and the pain is great enough that they, they want to stop for themselves. And it might take, for some people, it might take four DWIs. I don't know. Yeah. Everyone's different. Sure. But you can't push somebody into that. No. You can try, but it's really not going to work. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know. You're right. And if you know anything about, uh, you know, the beginning of 12-step recovery and what that looked like, you know, yeah. it was a very small thing you know it wasn't worldwide like it is now obviously but it wasn't also 
uh, no room was very big, you know, there was never really much room for, uh, hoopla, you know, and there were a lot more people with time than there were people without. When somebody yeah. showed up without a lot of experience, they were the exception. Now you might have a few people who managed to stick it out for six they years. They turned it on its, they, yeah, it's completely it's reversed. turned on its head now. And you wonder why, you know, it has gone to such hell, which it absolutely has. You yeah. Know? And, and we were talking about earlier, uh, I'm completely you know, uh, empathetic uh, toward people who just up and leave, you know, and decide this isn't the way I want to live my life because the healthier you get, the less you want to be in that environment, unless you have, like you were saying, you know, that commitment to helping people and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but, you know, that, it takes a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's like, imagine a really just rowdy kind of disorganized place uh, with people who are not in their best mind and you have some kind of stability in your life. It, it's just not what you want to do on a Tuesday night normally, right, right, you know. Right. But um, God bless the people who do it, I guess. But also, I I do think that uh, as years go by and you find yourself so consumed uh, by the the things of recovery yeah. uh, that you no longer live, you know, then that is in some ways just as destructive, you know, and just as like much a measure of self-abandonment as drug use ever could be. You know, yeah. I think that in some point you need to throw yourself out there and just see if you die or not. You know, yeah. you, you need to live. Um, I threw myself out there and tried to live and it didn't work out <laughs> too well at the moment, you know, but hey, I gave it a shot. Right. Yeah. But you know what's crazy is like we were talking about in recovery, in the 12 steps, NA or AA, whatever, whichever one you want. Yeah. One of the promises is that if you do everything that this book tells you, everything that these steps tell you, you will not relapse. Right. And it's true. Right. If you do all those things, you can't relapse because that's part of the 12 steps is to find a power greater than yourself right. and follow that will. If you're doing that, you're, 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 that's it. You're, you're saved, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we were, we were, we were, we were debating about like, so what is it that gets people to stay clean, not just to get clean with, to stay clean? What, mm-hmm. what about the, what's so special about the 12 steps? Yeah. And if you look at the 12, this is my personal philosophy behind it. You can pitch in yours too, sure. is that these 12 steps kind of guide you into the direction to find a power greater than yourself and have a spiritual awakening. Once you have that, you can't go back. So if you're trapped on an island, mm-hmm. So a lot. So, for example, some people think that it's the fellowship that gets people clean. It's the people. It's the being in the atmosphere of people getting clean. Okay, there's some there's some good valid points there. But however, and this is very theoretical. This has never happened. This is just in theory. You're trapped on an island, mm-hmm. and on this island, there's drugs everywhere. There's no meetings. There's no people. You can't. You don't even have a phone. You can't call your sponsor. Right. How do you stay clean there? Sure. The only way to do it is by serving a god. Or a higher power greater than yourself. It doesn't matter what it is. It really doesn't. Because you talk. I talk to people who are Christians. I got saved. I'm born again. It's just, it's a miracle. I was the worst person in the world, and now I'm clean out. Now now I'm great. And then you talk to Muslims. Say the same thing. Oh, I I submit to Allah, and I've never turned back, and my life is amazing. And they're both telling the truth. They're both. None of them's lying. So there's something. There's something about that. There's 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 a psychology behind it that works, right? And um, I'm not, and I'm not saying that there that doesn't make both of them not real. I'm saying there's something about serving a power greater. When you take the self away, when you, when you kill your ego, mm-hmm. there's something about the death of the ego that catapults somebody into greatness. Right. Because now all of a sudden you can see other people's world's views and not have to pitch in and tell them what you think and try to correct them or debate with them. 
you just like, okay, that's what they think. That's how they, that's their worldview. That's based on their life experience. And you can identify with them instead of trying to create all these differences. Sure. And um, back to the island thing, hmm. you're on the island and there's drugs everywhere. If you truly are serving a power greater than yourself, those drugs will mean nothing to you. We're sitting here in front of a bunch of bottles of alcohol. My parents stop by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> come on. And the, the thought is not even there. I don't even care. This is this this might as well be a be a be a, a lamp. It doesn't matter. It, it it's just an object. It's just a bottle with liquid in it. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not even thinking about it. And I'm sure you're feeling the same way. And like I said, the 12 steps gears a person from, from the first step to the 12th step, it's all about getting to find that power greater than yourself and submitting to it. Right. Yeah. And and what that does, when you do do that, it makes you look inward, kill your ego, and become a selfless human being and give back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've toured uh, some religions. You know, uh, I was raised Catholic. Um, went on from there. And since getting into recovery, I kind of... I've gone way into atheism and all that hip stuff, you know. Uh, I spent some time really identifying myself as like a, a Sufi a Muslim. Yeah, mystical um, Islam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there was a school in, I think, maybe South Carolina, the Green Mountain School. Uh, Sheikh Nordin Durki ran mm-hmm. it, and he uh, would accept refugees and things, and I thought maybe he'd also accept me from Hamburg, New York, uh, to come down and learn with him. You yeah. know, uh, I never went, but... Uh, I learned how to to read and, and recite and all that kind of stuff, um, and that was just a phase in my life. You know, I've um, read some of those Sufi mystic poems and poetry and yeah. and uh, hadiths, and it's some of the deepest. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's we're in a post nine eleven world and people have their feelings. You know, um, yeah, it does. It, yeah. It, it, it you need to get out is, of that because yeah. I was talking about this. I had I had a guest on from Eastern Africa who's Muslim, cool. and we were talking about how. If you if you were to judge Islam based on what happened in 9/11 or what ISIS is doing, yeah. then you have to apply that logic to every other religion, which means you have to judge Christianity based on the the Spanish Inquisition when they were lighting people up on the stake and on fire. Right. So you can't do that. You have to judge judge read the Quran and then and then if you have questions, go find a, a um what's 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 the teachers what do they call the teachers the um. Shake. Yeah, and go ask them what you're. But don't don't just take one person. Every 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 everyone's an individual. There's good people and bad people everywhere. So like that that mindset blows my mind. How people do that? Oh yeah, Muslims are all right around AK forty sevens and with. No, they're not. Right. No, they're not. They're if probably... they were, the world would be a really different place. You know, <laughs> yeah. a sixth of the world, you know, all wants to, it would be insane. You know, yeah. I mean, Germany did quite a bit with nowhere near the the manpower. Right. So who the hell knows what, what right. would actually be happening if that was the goal. But uh, so the hadiths are the p- reported sayings of Muhammad. It's yeah. not clear that he ever actually said any of that stuff. Right. And and there are some kind of strands of Islam that don't accept them. Yeah. Um. It, but certainly, it was a warring culture, and they were not only uh, sort of disposed to war, uh, they also were being attacked because of their religion. Uh, at the time, um, you're talking about people who would be murdered if they said that these idols that they had at the Kaaba, there were a hundred of them or so, uh, weren't the true gods, then you would be killed. It was 365 uh, idols. Yeah. What did I say, a hundred? You said, yeah. Uh, it's been some years. This doesn't, doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> so, there's 365. Yeah, they had one for uh, every day. Really? Yep. Okay. Well, hey, I missed that part I'm in the Green Mountain School class. Yeah. Uh, but 
um, you, it was a warring culture, you know, yeah. and, and when they were being, you know, persecuted uh, for their religion, they were, they, they rallied around the idea that we will not uh, surrender. You yeah. know, we will kill and die uh, in adherence to our religion. You yeah. Know? And it's the same thing as the American Revolution, if you think about it. Sure. What, what happened in 625 AD mm-hmm. in Mecca is no different than what happened in 1776 in America. It was a revolution. Just happened to be an Islamic revolution instead right. of an American revolution. Right. So people look at that, they're like, "Oh, Islam is a is a is a religion of war." No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> where they, do you get that were, from? They were fighting, you know, pagans who worship uh, clay sculptures. You know, and, right. and the idea was to get back to a place uh, where we're worshiping the one true God. Yeah. And, and I, that's what which I happens about to be, which to, ironically yeah. is the same God of the Bible yeah. that worship that Christians and Jews worship. Right. So the Abrahamic. Yeah. You know, mono. By the way, if you actually pull out a Hebrew Torah, the word for God is Al. Yeah. A-L. I remember this. So Al, Allah, it's the same thing. It's, it's, yeah. The Jehovah is just the word for the Lord. That's that's where that came from. Yeah. So all these, like, Allah, is a, I've, I've heard another Christian tell me that Allah is a moon goddess. I go, yeah. where are you getting this information from? Well, there was a clay deity called Allah. Well, yeah, and they, they, but a, they called all their deities Allah. There was Allah's, yeah. like, plural. Yeah. But that was before that was before Islam revolution. Right. So like you, like I said, that's like saying that that's like saying the Greeks worship Jew Zeus. Mm-hmm. So therefore, all Christians worship Zeus now. Mm-hmm. That's like it's the most ignorant thing you can say. Sure. It, it's very, as they say, you know, uh, some knowledge is very dangerous. You know, and, and yeah. I'm not pretending that you know I'm some obviously uh, expert in Quranic exegesis or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. You know, but um, I. Just in life, I've come across enough things. I've been shown that I'm wrong so many times, you know, uh, in my studies in philosophy and things. You're, Such a you're, deep history. You're going to come face to face with yourself at some point. Yep. And you might hate what you run into you yeah. know, as far as what you don't actually know um, and what you can't possibly know. And you realize that maybe some of the things that you hold dearest to your heart are really just opinions that you've, yeah. you've decided no. upon and that you're happy to have. But And like if you, if you, if you pull out, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. There's a line of philosophers that taught each other, mm-hmm. and from 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 person to person, their their philosophy completely changes on its head. Socrates was completely different than Plato, and yeah. they had differing opinions on their their worldview on on what the gods are or whatever the, whatever they were talking about. The, the, we were talking about the book, The Republic. Yeah. The whole book is a, a debate. Yeah. It's literally debate format. There's nothing. There's no like plot or story. It's just Plato and Socrates and a couple other philosophers, literally basically arguing with each other yeah. on, the, on what they think a, 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 a society should run or there's a ton of topics in that book that book is so deep by the way yeah but like yeah. you're saying not people we don't know nobody has all the answers to everything right. that's impossible if you think you do you probably have you you're probably not too smart right if you think you know everything you're not you, you're just dumb yeah, I mean, they, they call it the Socratic problem that we don't really know much about Socrates because what we get from him is what Plato said he said as really a literary yeah. device. You yeah. know, we don't know much about what he actually thought. You Whereas know, Aristotle wrote this many books. Oh, yeah, the Organon. He yeah. wrote, uh, well, that's funny, that's how we describe it. He wrote this much. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's all we know. But they say that something like, I think, two-thirds of it were lost. You yeah. Know? This is what we have left. I mean, the dude was just not of us you yeah know, he was not of this planet and we're talking about 500 bc right is that around, around? Like no 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 300 yeah. bc yeah. Yeah. yeah we're talking 300 bc and his aristotle and plato 
and their mathematics and science is still being looked at as 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 like legit today. Yeah. So ahead of their time, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it, they were geniuses. There's geniuses, no and yeah. Not, nothing like that happened until uh, Germany. You know, yeah. where you had Freud, like Nietzsche, and, and Heide, you know, they yep. were all living at the same time. Yeah, you're right. It, it yeah. was not a- until Einstein. then that that many. People it's funny with that you that said many that. Revolutionary ideas ended up living in the same place. Yeah, you know? it's funny that you gods. said that because you're right. Yeah. The same line of thinking from Plato and Aristotle and them, all of a sudden, it just like kind of, we had like the Christianity to just kind of rule the world for like. 1,000, 1,500 more years, yeah. and then all of a sudden you have, who was first? Was it Nietzsche was first or no? Was it of who? Freud or Nietzsche? Which one was first? I, I don't know. One of those, I know they've commented on each other. Yeah. No, I think I remember Freud quoting something from Nietzsche, so, but I could, it could be the other way around. Yes. I'm pretty sure Nietzsche was older. Nietzsche died yeah. in 1900. When did Freud die? I don't later, know. Yeah, I, I think say. it was later. So yeah. you're right. And then Jung was last. Okay. But it's you could compare those three, yeah. even Einstein too. Those that line of thinking, you can compare those to the Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle back in the day. Yeah. Whereas they took from each other and they sort of like build on each other's work, yeah. and they got the final. I think Jung was the final. He put it all together, like his book, Man and Symbols, and um, the deep subconscious realm, like the the unconscious, the dreams interpretation. Yeah, he got all that from from Nietzsche and and um, and and Freud mm-hmm. and it like it's so comparable to the philosophers of Greece like right. it's funny how that works like and he we owe a lot of our understanding of recovery uh to young and and to other really philosophers and it's it's funny that uh, people are so anti thinking you know yeah. in recovery they think if you think you're going to hurt yourself you know the truth is and I'm not saying this to be mean right uh most people probably couldn't really overthink something if they tried you know yeah. you, you think you're overthinking you're really just thinking you're just and, thinking and you haven't thought for so long <laughs> you've been thinking in these completely animalistic terms of see drug get it need money steal it and then you find yourself introduced to this world of really uh complex and noble yeah uh spiritual principles and it just feels so overwhelming that you feel like if I really dive all the way into that, I'm going to lose myself and I'm going to hurt myself. And it's just not true. Not you true know, at that, all. That is actually the solution. In fact. Uh, but people and, have yeah, like exactly. demonized the idea of thinking or becoming this thing that they're afraid to become, which is like a thoughtful person. And exactly. And you said that is actually sure. the solution. That sounded like incredibly said. judgmental. So, no, but uh, seriously, but it, though, it, it when, when is, you yeah. dive into all that thought, all those like thinking and, and philosophy and all these worldviews and you look at them and try to identify and find, find where you can like, you can take something out of it. Yeah. You actually, what you're doing is you're rewiring your thought process. Right. Sure. It's like the most, the, the brain works that way. You know, yeah. it's not, you don't just have what you have, you know, that's the, why the brain wants to learn things. That's and why Nietzsche, it, it can change. That's why Nietzsche wrote and thus spoke Zarathustra. Yeah. He wrote, man is just a, a rope to the Superman. Yeah. And he, what he means by that, is that we're just we're, we're just a what's I'm trying to think of how a word to describe we're just a process basically mm-hmm. like uh what's the word for like getting better like over time or wish I could help you yeah I, I whatever it's called progress we're, we're, yeah we're just a progression <laughs> okay, yeah. there you go that's the that word was it. I'm sorry yeah, yeah. okay good. I'm just having a brain I was you know, thinking way deeper we're, in the, yeah, humanity itself is just a progression over mm-hmm. time of building on ideas and building on concepts like. Nobody just one day came up with the idea to invent a camera. It came from something before that. There was a, there was like a some sort of device that was able people just drawing stuff. Like yeah. I, I can draw you, and then over time that idea turned into the camera, the iPhone. Yeah. 
all these ideas build off other ideas. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like we are, we are just, we're all just one linear event of humanity. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, speaking of, uh, you know, Nietzsche's uh, Superman, um, the Ubermensch is the person who doesn't have a belief system as a crutch to be who he actually is. You know, yeah. and that's uh, that's the ultimate that, uh, that ruffled a lot of feathers for the person who, yeah, who is maybe in recovery and, and we, hates the idea of striking out into a yeah intellectual uh, individuality. And he wrote in that same book. It actually was in the same paragraph too. Yeah. He wrote, "God is dead." Yeah. So a lot of people took that and said, "Oh no, he can't say that." Mm-hmm. But what he actually meant by that was that. We killed God. We turned away from exactly. God. We That's turned right. away from nature. And now we're focused on advancements and all this stuff. And we forgot where our morals come from. Right. So he was trying, what Nietzsche was trying to do was he was trying, he wasn't trying to get to, to get away from the spiritual principles behind God and religion. He was trying to take those principles and apply it to the progress of humanity. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that hard to grasp. It's pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's, it's super, super compelling to think about. Absolutely, I've enjoyed reading Nietzsche, probably just as much, if not more, than anybody else I've read. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Every single brilliant. word and Lovely. syllable is put there yeah. for a reason. Yeah, he like, was, and it's, and it's got layers behind the layers. Absolutely, dude. Just, just go read one paragraph of Nietzsche and just, yeah. inter- try to internalize it. You'll, yeah. it. He, He's and, a genius. And he wrote in aphorisms. They're easy to digest. You know, you can read one a day, like a daily meditation yeah. Nietzsche book. They're, we're writing it. We're going to fucking put one together. That's a good idea, that dude. That is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, you might find yourself sad, you know, eventually yeah. just from thinking about all this. Yeah, stuff, but I actually would think that he was- over it. I actually think that he was better than Freud and Jung at putting sentence structures together. Yeah. I think he was on another level that's never been, never been touched before or ever since yeah. then. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the German, like, uh, what was his name? Something Kaufman. Walter Kaufman, yeah. I think, was his uh, main, like, kind of translator. You know, he's the one who really brought Nietzsche's work to us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, it, it's not negative. You know, it's, it's forcing you to kind of abandon crutches, you know, and right. try to... Uh, it's not nihilism really, at all. ...really face things yeah. like Foursquare, you know, and I would say, yeah, if you... Uh, you know, challenge yourself to get into that if that's, you know, something you're interested in. Um, it's a realm of life that is demonized by people who are afraid, you know, but uh, it speaks to courage, you know, yeah. and it's definitely nourishing, I think. And it's it's truth. Yeah. You know, it comes from a place of truth and, and, and not pandering to a certain group of people and just coming from, like, reality. Yeah. Like, put it something you can actually touch yeah. and not have to pretend it's there when it's not. Yeah. It's real. Like, this stuff is real. Yeah. We're living in a real world right now. This is reality. Like, there's way we can describe it. This thing is metal. This thing is wood. Like, there are there are, there is truth, and then there's 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 uh um uh what's it called the uh, fantasy. Yeah. So. Yeah, the the humility of philosophy uh, is that you you don't know, and right. you're you're not. You can kind of think you might know something, but. There's sometimes reasons to think that you might not, you know, and you get into really weird arguments about the brain and the bat or whatever, you know, and that, that stuff never appealed to me. But what's happening in philosophy in universities now is that philosophy is trying to cling to life however it can. And they're starting to basically prostitute themselves and whore themselves out to the mathematics department, uh, to anybody they can get their hands on to make it seem like we're actually part of you and uh, we can help you uh, remain a department. And sometimes they get funding. So if you take philosophy now, uh, you're probably going to get a lot of what we call analytic uh, style philosophy, which is like logic, uh, 
Bertrand Russell and math, you know, and all this ugly stuff, who the, the arrogance of thinking that things can be redu- reduced to symbols. You right, know, right, right, right. Even a professor just go off about this, you know, just the idiocy of that idea that uh, it's all really just math. You know, the whole world is just an equation. It's right. Like, it's not you know, that simple. Yeah. So then you have the continental, it's called, you know, it's kind of a whatever, you know, the, the, the continent being Europe. Uh, but I would say that certainly Plato um, falls under that. Uh, Aristotle might have been maybe a little more analytic than anything, if you want to use modern terms to describe them. Uh, but the continental school is a lot more free thinking. And that's where you get like spirituality, you know, and things like that from. And it's just sad that kind of like we were talking about earlier, the the decline of life, you know, in Intellect. I hate to sound like I'm, you know, just disparaging uh, society no, I, as a whole, yeah. you know, and I don't mean to sound negative, but uh, that's just another example of how when you end up with so many people doing so many different things, you know, progress isn't always going to bring you fruits, you know, sometimes yeah. it creates a bottleneck where you have to do something stupid and say something stupid or be outlandish yeah. uh, to get any kind it's of a big plate of nihilism sometimes. Sure. You know, and you know, that's the world we're living in where, you know, if you want to get ahead, you might need to be either, you know, some kind of sociopath or, <laughs> or be some like the cash me outside you know, girl, violent person. the yeah. cash me outside girl. She's making millions of dollars right now yeah. because she went on Dr. Phil. It was such, it was such a piece of shit to be honest i mean yeah. look, come on let's be real yeah like i'm sound like a hater but bro <laughs> this girl went on dr phil yeah completely rejected that she she had this, an issue with her parents or whatever right. and now she's literally getting rewarded for that it, it, we are, our society rewards yeah. that behavior now yeah. we are so starved for stimulation that even if it's completely ridiculous you know if it tickles us for whatever reason we'll go with it and ordinarily the things that really tickle a brain that is all already overstimulated isn't something that's actually worthwhile wow. uh, it's going to be something that is uh completely idiotic and creates you know this just sensation that, wow, this is this is a thing you know that yeah. this uh this has my attention you know it's a spectacle it's, it's amazing because the farther we get advanced in technology and, and science and medicine it's almost like we're dumbing down our ability to like be normal, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, like it's everything's so absurd and crazy and lunatic, and uh, that, that's what the Unabomber said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, I'm not supporting Unabombing, <laughs> uh, but the Unabomber had. I'll tell you, he had some pretty damn good ideas. You yeah, know, a lot I, I of a lot of crazy he, people do. I wouldn't say <laughs> he tried to get the message out there in the best way, you know. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah, uh, if you read his manifesto, you might find yourself feeling how Nietzsche will make you feel. It's like I don't yeah. want to read this, and by the end, you're like, "God damn!" <laughs> yeah, you know what is that's life? the that's the the thing about the mind is yeah. that it's so complex. People are so layered. You can't just define people with one word. Sure, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, he was brilliant. You know, and that was one of his main ideas: is that technology is ruining us. You know, it's turning us into to slaves to it and it's getting us kind of making us lazy too. raw living yeah, yeah. like now, now you just got to pull out your phone and google something instead of actually pulling out a book and reading a couple paragraphs and understanding what you're looking for you go straight to the answer and it's like well, we don't remember phone numbers anymore right. we can't remember addresses it's all just like given to us by sure. by these we're like cyborgs now yeah you know? and i think you know we're in the same age bracket um we remember when life didn't have that, but it was also young enough that we got introduced to it that it became kind of our norm. We're in a really weird place, I think, uh, because I remember being 
We've, early we, teens. One guy had a cell phone. And yeah, it was like it wasn't rich a flip. Kid. It wasn't anything. It was yeah. a, just a, a box. Yes, you know? I remember and, those days too. And it had minutes, and it was like a precious minutes, thing to right. call with it. He yeah. had the power. No texting. You know? Yep. Yeah, and I, you know, remembering that and seeing how far things have come in, you know, what fifteen years, twenty years. Right. Um, it's just a crazy. What a time to be alive. I yeah, <laughs> we're, we're literally watching the uh, world just morph into this some like right. different and, thing. You know, I mean, we we've gone all the way down a rabbit hole here and it's worth uh asking now where we're headed because I, i'm waiting for something really bad to happen to tell you the truth i you feel know, it. don't I, you feel like there's that? gonna be a bomb or something D- um, doesn't it feel isn't there like a presence in the air <laughs> something bad's about to happen bomb i can't explain four it. or five times i know on your we're gonna get flagged sorry, now <laughs> yeah, yeah. i am not bombing anything <laughs> i think joking. you are gonna bomb me yeah exa- fact. exactly you know, that, that's where i'm going with it but wow we're uh, already a minute 15 minute we're already an hour and 15 minutes oh no, i'm sorry no i don't so, care dude. this is great <laughs> this is why i wanted to bring you on dude because you're such a deep thinker we're just i'm waiting for it i'm waiting for you know the whole east coast or something to just get wiped out and yeah power grid like shuts an, off an or something yeah an announcement of like this is how it is now kind of thing which i guess people have always been saying but but now's the time you know you've got you've got some issues that are not going to go away in even maybe a hundred years you know and right uh there's that uh, what is it? It's like a rock or something in like Georgia that says there should never be more than yeah. How many people? It's is in it? Georgia. It's um, like eighty thousand or something. No, I think it's one hundred fifty thousand. Oh well, okay. or th- maybe three hundred. <laughs> it's in the hundred thousands, which is yeah. nothing. Yeah, which yeah. is like compared yeah, to billions. Four hundred million people in America. It's like five yeah, percent so. of the world. Yeah, which you know you can't take. You can't believe everything you read on a rock in the woods. You know, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I think that. Uh, what is that stone people called? Do believe if anyone that, knows what that stone called, throw comment in the comments. Below. Yeah, yeah, um, but people believe the Georgia you know, stones. this kind of stuff. It's called the Georgia Stones. Oh, okay, yeah. see, never mind. I just yeah. popped my head. You don't, you don't have to comment. Oh, no, no, no. The Georgia Guiding Stones, I think it's called. Okay. Something like that, whatever. I don't remember. Yeah, but, I'm um, wrong. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, there's stuff out there, and I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the whole political realm, I'm, I don't I don't think that I would ever know anything worth knowing about it, you know, and it yeah. amazes me that people are all over Facebook, and they just like, well, it's not like that. It's like this. It's like if, you, if there was anything worth knowing, you wouldn't know it. That's right. how I feel. You yeah, know? that's the thing I, about I politics. If they really were, if they were really doing something like that, I don't think that you'd have a clue. And you congratulate yourself because you thought it, and it's, yeah. it sounded great, and it was also maybe against the opinion of other people you don't like. You right. Know? But I'm kind of in a place where I just I don't believe anything. You know, yeah. and I don't want to even. Well, the thing about politics now. I want to sit in the audience for that show. The thing about politics now is the, <laughs> I opt out. The thing about politics now that's really a bummer is that now we're we're at a point now where it's like, if you subscribe to one idea that happens to be Republican, you right. have to subscribe to all the other ideas right. that are Republican, right. or you're a heretic. Right. Same with Democrats. Right. You have to if you if you want universal health care, well, you better be pro-choice. You better be this. You better be that. Yeah. And if not, oh, you're one of those right. You're one of those crazy right wingers, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And nobody comes from a place of actual like real heart like they feel that way mm-hmm. it's more or less like i'm following the people who i most likely subscribe to yeah so we, now that's why we Remind got two of my parents you know or whoever I yeah know, that's that's why we only have two parties yeah you know what i'm saying that's yeah. that's why it is that way absolutely you know it's not an accident right that, that it's set up the way it is yep. um so you know 
until further notice. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm just waiting for uh, waiting for the for all the crash and burn, happen, dude. You know, like the end of uh, the, the, the end of Fight of Club when he's watching all the buildings fall down. <laughs> that's what I'm waiting for. Nice. <laughs> well, that's a positive uh, thing. Yeah, we're definitely getting flagged now. Yeah, I, I was I was telling you how I wanted to do stand up and stuff, and we talked about the most depressing, like horrible shit, you know, for a half hour. Unibomber. This and is stuff. not an indication yeah. of uh, you know the, the no, quality man, of my. No, this has work. been real though. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for having me. Um, hope this was useful to somebody, you know, uh, how, however it might be. I wish I had links for you to click, you know, or pages for you to follow. Just but, go to uh, his Facebook, follow yeah, him on there. I, I'm not even, you know, you can't cancel me because I'm not even a thing yet, you know. <laughs> but uh, one day I will be, and I won't say bomb so, on uh show. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Before we close out, yeah. how many... How, first of all, how old are you and how many years clean I'm do you have? I'm 30. Uh, February marked 15 and a half years. Uh, wow. Half clean. of your life, dude. Yeah. and um, That's amazing. You know, a lot of people, uh, like I said, you and, know, we were talking about have come in after me. Um, and and you I'm said sure June? there were people before me. You said June is your? August. August, August. August 3rd. So this August, you officially have more clean time than life than, than yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah. You'll be over the half mark. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's pe- wild, dude. Sure, you know, it's pe- incredible though. Have, Something to be proud of because I watch a lot of people come into recovery at a young age and look to you as like the, you know, as someone to like strive to be like. Yeah. You know, you you really paved a road for people, especially just in this area, but even just beyond Buffalo, like you you know, in general, young people in recovery who feel like they shouldn't be there and see you and see where you're at. Yeah. Goes a long way. Yeah. Um. I- there's a reason people don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was not like, uh, it's not easy. It was not a, uh, yeah, uh, particularly straightforward or, yeah. or painless experience to right. find myself really. All, I already fail, felt alienated, you know, and to get clean and to be in this really strange world with all these, you know, old people, uh, <laughs> it really, and, and not really seeing an end to the alienation, you know, wow. um, never really knowing if, uh, I would kind of find something, you know, that I might kind of really fit with. Um, that's real, you know. So I was never surprised when somebody would be in, like, rehab when they were young. And, uh, you know, they had girlfriends and they had, like, you know, kids they grew up with on the outside who were still doing whatever they were doing. And you're trying to tell this child, you need to get rid of all your friends. Yeah. You need to get rid of all that. Fortunately for me, I had no friends. And I certainly didn't have a girlfriend, for God's <laughs> sakes. I don't have one now. Um, definitely didn't then. So... I didn't have those challenges. Yeah, uh, so those I challenges guess definitely ways, are real. I, I'm, I don't want to, you know, take away from the uh, great uh, story you just told about me, you know, but I think in some ways it maybe happened by some kind of default. It was going to happen to somebody. Yeah. You know, somebody you were, had to. You were chosen. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> some, somebody had to have it happen to them, you know. It yeah. just uh, happened to be me, and I'm hoping I can cash in on some more. Uh, being the statistical anomaly because I need a whole lot more of that in my life right yeah, now. Man. Don't we all? <laughs> exactly. So you're the man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it's been real, guys. Yes. Everybody stay tuned for the next one. Stay tuned. Nickel City Chronicles. Peace. Thank you.
It's been on this whole time. Even with your narrating. He's gone.